Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, December 29th, 2010. I was going to have to say 2011. Finally back. Had to take one extra day there. Oh, man. Things are getting crazier out there. Yeah, 2011 looks like... It's just going to be off the chain apostate. <laughs> I mean, if, oh man, if the, any of this stuff is the indicator as to what's coming down the pike. Put your tinfoil pyramid hats on, you're going to need them. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically help you to think critically and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Yeah, we can trust God's Word. Why? Because we can trust Jesus. Jesus trusted the Word of God and, well, claimed that it was the very words of God. And he had, no one's got any better credentials than him because, well, you know, he died and rose again. And by raising himself from the grave on the third day, kind of sort of proved that he was you know, God in human flesh. In other words, ain't nobody ever lived any time, anyhow, that got better credentials than um, Jesus Christ. And so if you have a view of Scripture that's different than his, then uh, that's just a formula for flat-out disaster. And uh, we cover that disastrous train wreck on a regular basis here at Fighting for the Faith. And, uh, well, take a look at what people are saying and compare it back to the Word of God. Now, I just got back from spending a little bit of time away for Christmas with my family. And... um, and I took an extra day to uh, you know, to deal with some uh, kind of un- unexpected issues. And uh, I, I told folks on Facebook and Twitter yesterday that I would give an explanation as to why I needed to take an extra day. And uh, I will take a moment to explain. There's two primary reasons why I needed to take an extra day for, uh, on my vacation. Uh, number one, um, this, you know, kind of in no particular order here. Uh, number one, uh, over the uh, Christmas holiday, uh, my family and I, we traveled to uh, Southern California and, uh, you know, my parents flew us out to uh, spend Christmas with uh, them in uh, in Southern California. So we were in Southern California and uh, during that time, uh, you know, just prior to us leaving, we discovered, uh, actually heard uh, through another family member, that uh, one of my wife's aunts uh, had gone into the hospital uh, with a very, very severe and acute uh, medical problem. And uh, as it turns out, um, it, it her medical condition is um, is fatal. And uh, she doesn't have very much longer to live. So um, if you can keep my wife's family in your prayers, that would be appreciated. 
the saga continues there as uh, as um, her her aunt uh, languishes and uh, and it is rapidly approaching the end of her life. So keep her in your prayers. Uh, second thing that uh, I had to deal with was that uh, while we were gone uh, in uh, and as we were coming back. Uh, Pirate Christian Radio uh, came under an attack. And you're going, an attack? What do you mean by an attack? Well, this attack uh, occurred on two fronts, and uh, the Pirate Christian Radio ship uh, sustained just a, a, a bit of damage. And let me explain what uh, what I mean by this. Um, while we were in California, I got a phone call from uh, a couple of my advertisers uh, at the the piratechristianradio.com website, and uh, they informed me that they were going to have to withdraw their affiliate sponsorship of Pirate Christian Radio. And when I inquired as to the reasons for them withdrawing their uh, affiliate sponsorship of PCR, I was told that uh, they had been receiving complaints from people uh uh, concerning and regarding uh, Pirate Christian Radio's, uh, <clears throat> think Chris Roseboro, uh, uh, the public stance and position that we've taken on the issue of homosexuality, uh, namely that uh, homosexuality, according to the revealed Word of God, uh, both homosexual attraction and homosexual uh, intercourse is a perversion, it's unnatural, and it is a sin. Uh, that uh, enslaves and and basically puts people in bondage, and that Christ Jesus came to set us free from those sins, and that uh, those who are uh, engaged in uh, homosexual uh, attraction and uh, uh, relationships uh, need to repent and be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. Well, that position that we've taken has uh, has created quite a furor among. Uh, a, a, a a a group of people in the outlaw preacher camp. Not not all of them, but uh, let's just say that uh, it's created quite a, a brouhaha. To where, if you remember back uh, in November, we uh, we I experienced Kimblegate. Well, some of the folks over there in uh, in the outlaw preacher camp have uh, dubbed this to be uh, pirate uh, pirate gate. <laughs> Anyway, so some of them, somebody, uh, somebody or some ones in the outlaw preacher camp took it upon themselves to uh, to uh, take a shot at Pirate Christian Radio, and as a result of their efforts, we've actually lost two of our uh, advertisers here at uh, Pirate Christian Radio. So um, uh, that that was front number two, but uh, I'm sorry, front number one, but front number two is a little bit more serious. Uh, not that the other one isn't serious, because it is, because it jeopardizes. PCR's finances, uh, but uh, front number two was that uh, somebody on Monday took it upon themselves to hack into uh, Pirate Christian Radio's uh, radio uh, streamer, and the timing of the attack suggests that the two are related, that the uh, attack against our advertisers to uh, hurt us financially is related to the attack to bring uh, Pirate Christian Radio's web streamers down via hacking. That being said, it's important to note that we don't know exactly who did it. We don't know if the person was a member of the Outlaw Preacher group or was an LGBT cyber activist. We don't know. But regardless, it's important to note that as a result of their efforts, they completely took PCR off the air for a, uh, close to about six hours. And uh, it took uh, quite a bit of time to... Uh, 
to address the issue, and uh, we had to bring the PCR streamer back online and uh, and take and basically, we, you know, uh, the, we had to put a new one in place is basically what it meant, and we had to tighten our firewall and take some measures to ensure that. Uh, our pirate Christian radio streamer wasn't hacked again. Now, the irony of the whole thing here is what I find interesting is the hypocrisy uh, among uh, those who have uh, taken a stand against the position that I've voiced here at Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And that is is that they, uh, the, those who are basically taking issue with me are basically claiming that they're all about radical love and inclusivity. But apparently radical love and inclusivity breaks down when you disagree with them and you show them clearly what the Bible teaches uh, regarding uh, homosexual sin and behavior. Uh, Many in the outlaw preacher camp want to be homosexual affirming, and that is not a biblical position. In fact, the Bible clearly speaks against that. And uh, because I've clearly enunciated and taught the biblical uh, what the Bible teaches on this, uh, some in the so-called well radical love and inclusivity camp have um, well, let's just say their um, <clears throat> their actions aren't uh, jiving with their words, and as a result of it, uh, they've uh, they've launched well uh, an assault against pirate Christian radio. Now, listen, P- PCR is a man of war. I mean, just yeah, if you were thinking PCR is a is a as a ship, we are a fully loaded. Uh, man of war, capable of broadsides on both our our uh, starboard side and uh, <laughs> and the other side of the ship, uh, with a port, the starboard and port side of our ship. Well, that's completely understandable, and we understand that uh, that the the barrages that we launch launch and the broadsides that we uh, launch against others and their false doctrine and false teaching opens us up to attack. It's all part and parcel of the uh, uh, the risk, if you would. It's it's par for the course. So we fully expect things like this to take place, and as a result of it, we uh, take appropriate measures to prevent uh, things like that from happening. Unfortunately, the person who hacked into our computer really, really knew what they were doing. So anyway, that's uh, so I had to address. We I've had to address these issues and uh, and uh, take the appropriate measures to ensure uh, the ongoing longevity and uh, and um, uh, well, let's say perpetuity. I don't know. I, I I'm reaching for words here, but uh, to uh, basically ensure that Pirate Christian Radio will be around for the long run. And uh, if uh, you've ever considered uh, actually supporting uh, Pirate Christian Radio and fighting for the faith financially, this would be a really good time to do that, considering the loss of two of our advertisers. <sighs> yeah, I, you know, you got you, you to gotta think here, you know, that uh, I find it rather interesting that uh, the... Uh, <clears throat> Those sympathetic uh, to uh, uh, the radical love and inclusivity crowd in the outlaw preacher camp, which is anything but, have decided that they would uh, basically uh, go for the jugular, try to sink the ship, and uh, they they didn't succeed. So, I mean, we're still here. Um, but you know we did sustain some damage so there you have it that's uh, what 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 the what the uh, extra day was all about to basically batten down the hatches uh, you know cut down some timber patch up the holes fix the hole in the sail and, uh, and 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 move forward i mean you don't expect a a man of war a pirate ship like pirate christian radio to not sustain some damage from time to time so there you have it all right 
Let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, we've, I've got an email that I want to read from Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. I'm, I'm actually a few emails behind. Pastor Charmley is quite a prolific email writer, and I, I want to see if I can take today and maybe, not tomorrow, but maybe the next day, to uh, catch up with my emails from Pastor Charmley. And of course, uh, any of your emails that I deem fit and worthy to uh, read here on the air, we'll, you know, I'll read them as well, but not today. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's see. We've got... no. Oh, man. If you follow me on Facebook and Twitter, then you know that I've linked to a brand new, well, it's not so brand new, but um, um, a Christian knockoff of Justin Bieber um, put out by a company called Techno Praise. And, um, oh, man, it just is, it just chaps my hide when... Uh, the biblically illiterate culture-chasing-relevant crowd doesn't even realize how silly they look when they come up with cheap knockoffs of uh, successful uh, secular entertainers. But apparently, well, (laughs) the Christian world, the Christian marketplace needs a Justin Bieber knockoff. So we'll be playing part of uh, audio from that song um, entitled Mary Did You Know and compare it with the the just-released song from (laughs) the... Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, uh, uh, co-prophet of the end times, William Tapley, and his new song played on his Casio WK200 entitled The Love of Life, just to see if, you know, if there's any, who who, who really has the better voice here? So we'll be playing that, um, I, and then, um, let's see, switching gears, oh, there's so much I want to talk about, so much I want to do. But I'm going to spend some time in, um, well, taking a look at taking a look at the uh, evolution versus creation uh, front. And uh, wouldn't you know it? There's a brand new, brand spanking new website out there entitled Evolutionary Christianity, uh, put together by uh, Michael Dowd, uh, that evolutionary cre- Christianity guy who uh, preached at Ian Lawton's uh, C3 Exchange. And boy, oh boy, this is just, it's like the mother load of heresy. And uh, so we're going to be listening, uh, this is, uh, let's just put it this way. We're going to begin listening to some of the stuff being put out at the uh, Evolutionary Christianity website. And um, and uh, today we'll begin it. it. We probably won't be done for months. Uh, it's it's one of those things where I might have to turn this into a weekly installment as we work our way through uh, the theological <clears throat> scubalon that uh, <laughs> is showing up there. I mean, quite a cast of characters, too, who've contributed to evolutionary Christianity. These are folks who've basically are supposed they're being touted as thought leaders within Christianity. People such as Brian McLaren, Doug Paget, John Shelby Spong, Ian Lawton of C3 Exchange. Yeah, the church that took down their cross, you know. <sighs> Let's see here. Carl Giberson, um, Philip Clayton. It's just, it's a star-studded cast of characters. Oh, and the Catholic mystic Richard Rohr. Yeah, you just, um, boy, uh, put your... Um, Put your tinfoil pyramid hats on because this will be a great example of uh, of what I've talked about at the opening of the program of those who, uh, well, abandon the Word of God and end up just out to sea without a rudder. And uh, 
And so we're going to pull the pirate Christian radio uh, man of war uh, alongside of um, the Evolutionary Christianity website and um, and open up a few broadsides. That's just because what we that's what we do here. And uh, so we'll be listening to uh, the opening segment from uh, Michael Dowd's interview with Bruce Sanguin and his lecture entitled Evolutionary Christian Mysticism and Cosmological Midrash. Yeah, uh, evolutionary Christian mysticism and cos- cosmological midrash. We, this can also just be subtitled um, stuff that I made up and call it Christian. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is going to be all kinds of interesting. So, uh, and then you know, let's see here. I I don't even know if I'm going to have time for anything else in this hour, but. Uh, in hour number two, we're going to, uh, for the rest of this week and maybe into the beginning of next, uh, do basically begin reviewing some of the m- more interesting uh, Christmas sermons uh, that have been preached over yeah um, this uh, past Christmas season. By the way, um, this is the fifth day of Christmas today. Today is today is the fifth day of Christmas. And uh, if you if you uh, were to think back at, uh, at li- in listening to the Fighting for the Faith podcast and radio program, that I didn't spend a lot of time talking about Christmas during Advent. The reason why is well, um, Advent isn't Christmas, and the Christmas season begins with Christmas, and so we're actually now in the Christmas season. And by the way, since this is kind of how I like. I think that uh, the ancients got it right. The 12 days of Christmas begin on Christmas Day. They don't end on Christmas Day. And so because uh, we at the Roseboro family like to celebrate the 12 days of Christmas, we get, I mean, we get all of the cheapest Christmas presents. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, <clears throat> Mrs. Roseboro and, uh, and my two daughters uh, spent part of the afternoon today uh, doing some Christmas shopping and um, – and they were buying stuff at 60% off, and they just made off like bandits. So good on them for uh, saving us a truckload of money. And, uh, and you know, hey, listen, there's some benefits to celebrating Christmas the way it was intended, you know. So, yeah, just, you know, just saying. So Merry Christmas to you all. It's, it, this, is, this is the fifth day of Christmas. Merry Christmas. I, you know, I didn't wish a lot of folks a lot of Merry Christmases prior to that because now is the Christmas season. And not then. Anyway, so uh, let's dive into the program proper, which means I need to cue up the email music here. And everybody knows Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. He's a regular feature here at Fighting for the Faith. Both his emails and his fantastic sermons. And this is this is the speed at which that he types his emails. All right, uh, Pastor Charmley's email, uh, the headline reads, Byron Bledsoe. So he's uh, chiming in regarding his take on the Brian Ble- most recently reviewed Brian Bledsoe uh, sermon. Uh, Dear Chris, what Brian Bledsoe is doing in the sermon, Wonderful Counselor, is something that we are all warned against when I was in seminary, preaching about the gospel rather than preaching the gospel gospel. Now, this is a fantastic distinctive that I think might I might just have to weave in this category into uh, our sermon review uh, you know, uh, time here at Fighting for the Faith. In fact, today, Pastor Charmley, I, I want to let you know, 
that it's your email. It is this particular email that uh, that decided for me which Christmas sermon that we would be reviewing here at Fighting for the Faith. And as a result of this email in this category about preaching about the gospel rather than preaching the gospel caused me to choose um, one of the sermons uh, from the 3D Christmas series over at uh, Church by the Glades down in, uh, I think it's Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And uh, and uh, so, the, the, yeah, that's – and so what we're going to be listening for t- in today's sermon review has to do with about preaching about the gospel but not actually preaching the gospel. So, Pastor Charmley, good on you. I want to thank you for this great email, even though I haven't even begun to really read it. But uh, just want to let you know, you your this email is what uh, became the deciding factor in the the sermon selection today. So let me continue reading. So uh, he says, uh, when I was in seminary preaching about the gospel rather than preaching the gospel, we've all heard it. The man who tells you that the gospel is great, that the gospel is wonderful, and the gospel is the way of salvation, but somehow that person neglects to actually tell you what the gospel actually is. Mm-hmm. Now, the tutors in seminary would test us by giving us gospel texts to preach on and then seeing what we did with them. Woe betide the student who merely preached about the gospel and did not preach the gospel itself. Now, I got to read this sentence again because this is a sentence that no American could possibly have crafted, myself included. And, you know, I I mean, this is just stellar prose. Woe betide the student who merely preached about the gospel and did not preach the gospel itself. I don't know what a woe betide is, but it sure does sound good. <laughs> oh, man, Pastor Charmley, you have a way with words. Anyway, woe betide the student. I, you know, I should say that <clears throat> kind of like this. Woe betide the student who merely preached about the gospel and did not preach the gospel itself. It sounds awful, right? Yeah. Now, that is how I feel listening to Pastor Bledsoe. A man is telling me at great length what a steak dinner is a wonderful thing, and and I I will feel so much better for one, but there's no steak dinner upon the table or even in the kitchen. What we need is ministers who will give us the steak dinner that is the gospel. Amen, Pastor Charmley. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, woe betide those seeker-driven pastors who tell us how great the gospel is, but well, don't give us the gospel. Or in your metaphor or example here, you know, woe betide the pastor who tells us how great a steak dinner is, but there's no steak dinner on the kitchen table, in the kitchen, or anywhere, even in the house. <laughs> what we need are ministers who will give us the steak dinner that is the gospel. Now, there is a time and a place to talk about the doctrine of inspiration. It is in the Bible. It is in the Bible study meetings, not the Sunday services. We have ours on Wednesday night. But when the gospel is assumed rather than taught, then the minister will think, well, we know all that. All that. Let's move on to something else. That was what I liked about Hugh Palmer's lecture at Kiel. He pointed the danger out to us. There must have been hundreds of ministers presence, present there. Hopefully we'll get some audio on this, by the way. And uh, and now I must away for it is Christmas Eve, and tomorrow I must actually preach the gospel from Isaiah 9. Send me the link, Pastor Charlie. Send me the link. That is what is most frustrating with some of the sermons you review when I have preached on the text or I am going to preach on the text. Anyway... 
In the name of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, and he always likes to sign his emails, I know that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Quote from John Newton. Ah, great email, Pastor Charmley, and I couldn't agree with you more. That This is one of those uh, diagnostic categories that we're going to have to... Uh, uh, be listening for is the pastor telling us about the gospel, but not actually preaching the gospel, telling us how wonderful a steak dinner is without actually giving us a steak dinner. Woe betide that pastor. Woe betide. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm probably not using that phrase right. And if I, uh, Pastor Charmley, I do apologize if I take that phrase and just fly it straight into the ground and and it crashes and burns. I, you know. I was inspired. Anyway, um, <laughs> moving along, something just a little bit on the uh, <clears throat> crazy side. Uh, did you know that uh, you know that Christ- the, the Christian marketplace is just has has there's there's been a void in the Christian marketplace that has been recently filled, and the void was having um a a a Justin Bieber knockoff uh, apparently this poor kid can't carry a tune in a bucket unless he has an auto tuner and computer assistance but anyways uh, thanks to the folks over at Techno Praise we now have a Christian knockoff of Justin Bieber and um here's um here's his song Mary did you know Mary did you know Oh, thank God for the old auto tuner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, originally pioneered by Cher, now now being used by the Christian version of Justin Bieber. You know that your baby boy has come to make you know this child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know? Oh man. Hang on. <laughs> Gotta clean my ears out. Ah, just, just, ah. Okay, now, um, by way of comparison, I, I, I just want you all to uh, answer the question: which is which is more musically talented, uh, the um, <laughs> the Christian knockoff of Justin Bieber singing the "Mary Did You Know" song, or William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, and his recently released "Love of Life" song? Here, here is. Um, William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times on his Casio WK-200 with its jazz samba beat playing <laughs> Love of Life, Let Our Father Plan Your Family. Here we go. Apparently, William Tapley needs an auto-tuner. Oh, 
<sighs> okay. Now, <laughs> okay, let's go back to the Christian knockoff of Justin Bieber. Just you know, gotta gotta do some comparative work here. <sighs> All right, now obviously the production value of the uh, <clears throat> Christian knockoff of Justin Bieber is a little higher than William Tapley here, but again, you, you take into consideration the limitations of the Casio WK200. Now I know why leaves look greener in the spring. Now I know why songbirds sing there. Suffer little children unto me. Yeah, keyword there is suffer. Said Christ the King. Children are the future of the world. They're everything. <laughs> okay, just one more sample. The, uh, the Christian knockoff of Justin Bieber, well, you know, he's just a smidge, you know, cuter and likable than <laughs> the third eagle of the apocalypse. The lame will leap, the dog will speak, the praises of the dead. Yeah, thank God for that auto-tuner. Okay, back to William Tapley. Every child's alive, months before she's born. William Tapley here for taking a strong stand against abortion in this um um song. Let our father plan your family. All right, enough, enough, enough. Okay, my ears are bleeding. Okay, so uh, yeah, I I'm having a hard time figuring out which is better. I from my ear, and maybe I'm just tone deaf. Sounds like a tie. But if you'd like to chime in and, well, you know, leave your comments and, you know, leave your vote for, you know, who is better, the uh, Christian knockoff of Justin Bieber or the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, <laughs> you can email me my <laughs> my email address, whew, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask me, my friend, on Facebook. You can know, leave a message on my wall, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Chicago, 6 p.m. Inside Lucy Perkins' bedroom. I want to tell you my secret now. Okay. I see emergent people. In your dreams? No. When you're awake? Yeah. Emergent people like in coffee shops and cohorts? Walking around like regular people. They don't see the truth. They only see what they want to believe. They don't know their tender sins. How often do you see them? All the time. They're everywhere. Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. <laughs> and just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseboro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap.
warning. Really schlocky Christian music played here regularly. I apologize. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially, and boy, could we use your partnership. <clears throat> yeah, especially after the damage that we sustained in losing a couple of our advertisers. This gives you a very wonderful and unique opportunity to partner with us. You know, to, you know, to say, you know what, <clears throat> now that I think about it, Fighting for the Faith is one of those programs that not only do I laugh and cry, but I learn. And I hear the gospel preached to me and I hear about the forgiveness of my sins, and I grow in my understanding of the Bible and what it's really truly all about. And as a result of it, I, I think this is a good time for me to partner with the, with the Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith. And so I'm going to visit the Fighting for the Faith website, you know, fightingforthefaith.com, and I'm going to select one of the two friendly yellow buttons that are there. One says donate, the other says join our crew. Now Chris says that... The join our crew button by signing, the, you know, clicking that and filling it all out. I'm signing up to automatically contribute on a monthly basis, six dollars and ninety five cents. So I understand there's not a lot of money, but it really helps Chris out because um, it makes it so that uh, there's power in numbers and uh, makes it so that. Uh, the more people that join our crew, it, what it does is it levels out our giving month to month and makes it easier for our to budget our expenses. Or I can make a one-time contribution by clicking on the uh, donate button. Either way, I'm gonna I'm gonna step up. I'm gonna help Chris out and help Pirate Christian Radio so that that man of war can continue sailing and doing the work that it does. Yeah, see this. That's notice that all the suggestive thoughts that I put in. Notice I was speaking about myself in third person and was trying to think for you. It's all part of my plan. Anyway, yeah, please, if you don't already support us, this would be a good time for you to do so. So visit FightingForTheFaith.com, click one of the friendly yellow buttons, and uh, support us today. This is a great time to do it. Okay, moving along, this uh, next segment, um, well, how do I put it? Uh, well, he, I, I think I've got the right theme music for this segment. From the television show The Outer Limits. There is nothing wrong with your television set. Nothing wrong with your radio. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. Yeah, now, by the way, the reason I chose this as our intro um, music theme for going into this series of segments that we're going to be doing really for a long time here at Fighting for the Faith is I want to back it up and I want you to hear that line again. Let's see if I got it. Awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to... The outer limit. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, the the awe and mystery that reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. <clears throat> now, with that, uh, let me let me tell you about a brand new website. It, it's been up for just about a month, 
And uh, the name of it is evolutionarychristianity.com. And boy, oh boy, like I said at the beginning of the program, uh, the folks who are contributing to this conversation apparently defend, you know, basically defending Christianity and evolution together. Well, uh, it's put together by Michael Dowd. And in case you, you know, if you don't remember Michael Dowd, I reviewed a sermon that he did at Ian Lawton's C3 Exchange Church. And uh, here's the deal. Michael Dow doesn't even believe in a personal deity. He doesn't believe in the personal personness of God. He is at best a pantheist. And um, this is a perfect example of what happens when you jettison the Bible. Yeah, what comes in, what fills the vacuum next is just pure insanity. And the fact that these folks think that this is Christianity or that this is somehow cutting-edge Christian thought is just mind Boggling, but I want to read to you uh, at the uh, at the evolutionarychristianity.com website. If you you know, once you get into their inner guts, um, they they have um, audio lectures and interviews from a whole bunch of quote Christian thought leaders, and um, and I want to read to you some of the n- names of these uh, lectures. Okay, Ian Barber, he has introduction to the teleseries followed by God and Evolution. Uh, the one I'm going to be reviewing a few minutes of today, uh, Bruce Sanguin's Evolutionary Christian Mysticism and the Cosmological Midrash. Yeah, if you have a midrash, you might want to get something for that. Yeah, if you you know, because if you have a a, a midrash, uh, you know, maybe you know, like Vaseline Intensive Care Lotion, that'll just clean that right up. Um, here we go, Dennis uh, Lamoriel, uh, Beyond the Evolution versus Creation Debate. Uh, Ross Hostetter, uh, Integral Christian Spirituality. Integral Christian Spirituality. <laughs> you think, yeah, we're going to be reviewing that one. Carl Giberson, The Heart and Soul of the Evolution Controversy. Um, Process Christianity in the 21st Century by John Cobb. The Convergence of Science and Religion by Charles Towns. Jim Burklow, Open Christianity and Progressive faith, open Christianity. Christianity is the open source thing. Uh, Brian McLaren, naked spirituality and a new kind of Christianity. You might want to put some fig leaves on that, Brian. And let's see here. John Shelby Spong, my favorite title out of all of them, by the way. And there's more, but I won't go into all of them. Here we go. The, just, just the name of this uh, interview is rather interesting. Celebrating post-theistic Christian faith. Celebrating post-theistic Christian faith. Now, if words have meanings and and those in the you know and those words actually mean something, then um, basically I should assume in listening just from the title of this lecture that John Shelby Spong is promoting a post theistic Christian faith. That would be a Christian faith that has moved beyond belief in a deity. Theism is a belief in God. So now we have a post-theistic Christian faith. I'm not sure how you do that, uh, considering the fact that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. But anyway, you know, I mean, this is just a veritable cesspool of ridiculousness. And this is what happens when you jettison God's word, what fills the vacuum, turns into something that doesn't even remotely look like Christianity. And these guys think that they're being cutting edge. They think that th- this is a Christianity that really is is uh, both heart, and, you know, for both the head and the heart. 
Yeah, with that, um, I would like to play for you the first few minutes, of course with my commentary, of Bruce Sanguin's um, appearance at the EvolutionaryChristianity.com website on December 5th. His interview entitled Evolutionary Christian Mysticism and Cosmological Midrash. The reason I chose this one is because, well, Bruce does a fine job of explaining how he went from being a born-again Christian to, well, I don't know what he is now, but you'll have to determine that yourself after you listen to the interview. So without any further ado, here is Michael Dowd, the man who doesn't even believe in a personal deity, uh, but claims that he's a Christian, um, uh, interviewing Bruce Sanguin. Here we go. Welcome to Episode 2 of the Advent of Evolutionary Christianity, Conversations at the Leading Edge of Faith. I'm Michael Dowd, and I'm your host for this series, which can be accessed via evolutionarychristianity.com, where you too can add your voice to the conversation. Bruce Sanguin is my guest today. Bruce Sanguin has been a pastor at Canadian Memorial United Church in Vancouver, B.C. since 1996. He's one of the leading voices in what's called progressive Christianity, or he likes to consider himself an evolutionary Christian mystic. His church is a model. Of- an, an evolutionary Christian mystic. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder after hearing titles like this and things like this being bantied about by these folks, uh, why I don't think this is Christianity at all? An evolutionary Christian mystic. Is it any wonder why? I mean, these guys give probably one of the most lucid arguments against believing in evolution that I've ever heard. But let's continue. Of evolutionary Christian spirituality. Bruce is the author of a number of books, including Darwin, Divinity, and the Dance of the Cosmos, and his most recent book of prayers, If Darwin Prayed. We discuss the topic of evolutionary Christian mysticism. And it reminds me of uh, you know, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the, the mention of Ulan Kalufid's works. Uh, who is this God character anyway? You know, things like that. Cosmological Midrash. Bruce has been a dear friend for the last few years. And this is frankly one of the most inspiring conversations that I've ever had. So, Bruce, I appreciate you for taking the time to have this conversation. It's, it's really grown from how I originally envisioned this teleseminar. We now have about uh, 28 thought leaders, Christian thought leaders, and I see the I see the purpose first to show that science rejecting creationists and religion rejecting. Okay, no, did you hear the hear that science rejecting creationists, <clears throat> uh, Michael? Uh, since I know you're listening, I, I want to clear something up here. I am not a science rejecting creationist, not at all. In fact, the, one of the reasons, in fact, the primary reason why I reject evolution is scientific. Yeah, it's because, you know, it doesn't make a hoot of sense and there is no evidence for evolution. If anybody's truly rejecting science, it would be the evolutionary guys. So, yeah, so, so yeah, no, the false dichotomy here. Yeah, no, I am not a science rejecting creationist. In fact, Folks, if you really – I would recommend go to the Discovery Institute on uh, on the internet or visit uh, the Creation Museum website and uh, pull up the resources that are offered by the scientists there that show the complete and utter, utter bankruptcy 
of uh, of evolutionary theory and evolutionary science. They fight it not on anti-scientific grounds. No, they fight it on scientific grounds. So, yeah, got a problem here, Michael. Um, the, the, you, you're setting up a straw man here. There are good people, who good Christians, who reject evolutionary theory on scientific grounds. And if you would like a primer, if you want a primer on... Um, on you know why Christians should reject evolutionary theory scientifically, visit piratechristianradio.com and click on the store link. And in our store, we have an entire section of books available for you to purchase. In t- in, the section is entitled Contra Evolution. And all of the books, every single one of them, gives you scientific reasons why you should reject evolutionary theory. Just, you know, just saying here. So, yeah, backing up the uh, the tape just a smidge. Here we go. We discuss the topic of evolutionary Christian mysticism and cosmological midrash. Bruce has been a dear friend for the last few years, and this is frankly one of the most inspiring conversations that I've ever had. So, Bruce, I appreciate you for taking the time to have this conversation. It's it's really grown from how I originally envisioned this teleseminar. We now have about uh, 28 thought leaders, Christian thought leaders, and I see the I see the purpose first to show that science rejecting creationists and religion rejecting atheists are actually in the minority. That the millions in the middle, the majority in the middle, is represented by the widely diverse Christian thought leaders that are participating in this seminar. This tele- oh, 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 so you, what you're basically saying, Michael, is that Doug Padgett, John Shelby Spong, and Brian McLaren and others of their emergent postmodern ilk actually represent the majority? May I point something out here? <clears throat> that, that's, this is not an argument. The question is, who is right and by basically saying that creationists are science rejecting, basically tells me that you don't know what you're talking about, and basically claiming that the majority is right. You know, basically, uh, this is what we in logic circles refer to as the logical fallacy of argumentum ad populum. The idea here is is that well, the majority of people believe it to be true, therefore it must be true. Well, keep in mind that during the Middle Ages, the majority of Europeans believed that the earth was flat. That does not mean that at that time the earth was actually flat. It wasn't. It was, it's been round the whole time. So, yeah, argumentum ab populum. It's a logical fallacy. It's no way to argue, and it's no way to discover truth, by the way. Series, all of whom celebrate head and heart, you know, reason and faith, science and religion. And so I wondered if you could speak to... Yeah, I want to say something here. Um, no, uh, <clears throat> I have to point something out here. The Christianity that I hold to, biblical Christianity, is a religion of head and heart. It is not some subjective liver-shiver-based Christianity at all. Anyway, let's continue. How that occurs for you, how do you celebrate both an evolutionary understanding of reality and and your Christian faith. A little bit of sort of your testimonial. How did you come into this perspective that you now hold? Well, it's great to talk to you, Michael. It always is. I love our conversations and how there typically is an emergent quality to them that uh, both of us are surprised sometimes by what actually happens in the process of 
us uh, having this conversation that we're both so passionate about, so it's great to be with you. And uh, in terms of your question, I mean, I didn't really grow up with the science background. Now, I want you to listen to his testimony. This is a this is almost a boilerplate testimony of how somebody goes from being Bible believing to being, well, liberal. And this is all in the name of thought and thinking. But listen carefully. I took the usual high school science classes, but it, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I suppose unconsciously I was informed by a certain kind of presentation of a scientific worldview, and, and that formed some assumptions about the nature of reality for me. But then, you know, I became a Christian, and I actually became a born-again Christian when I was about uh, 20, and did the whole thing of the Bible being the literal Word of God, and if the Bible said that God created the world in seven days, then God created the world in seven days, etc., etc., and it... You know, I, I inhabited that world for a couple of years and, until it became sort of um, untenable. It, it just, uh, I, I remember I ended up in seminary and I was uh, had this wonderful New Testament professor who looked at me, I felt, every time the class ended and pointed to his temple and said, think, think, think. Now, listen. Pay close attention to this. The, his testimony is, is that his New Testament professor at a liberal seminary kept pointing to his head and saying, telling him, you need to think, Bruce. you got to think, think, think. Okay, so apparently this is an argument for thinking, right? Wait till you hear what's coming next. Wait till you hear where this goes. Think. Because he was a dealing with a lot of us kind of evangelicals or fundamentalists coming through. And so it took me about a year and a half, two years to realize that I, I could no longer embrace that kind of literalist interpretation of Scripture. Yeah, yeah the idea that God actually, you know, created the world in, you know, six days. Can't believe that. No, can't believe that literalist interpretation because, well, now he's a thinker. This is how the argument goes. But keep listening. See if this sounds like thinking to you. The foundation collapsed for me. And the, the alternative to that was what, you know, kind of being in liberal, a liberal seminary was um, a kind of, you know, what we'd call the liberal theology. And nowadays we're calling a progressive theology, a progressive worldview, which you know, on the one hand, it was great, but on the other hand, something was uh, something was missing for me. And I think that over time, over a period of five to ten years... Now, notice that, the, I want to point this out, that this uh, testimony has now changed from thinking to feeling. Something just, it was, I felt like something was missing. So he could no longer be, he could no longer believe... That God created the world. No, 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 that, that, ah, no. But he, he says that he can no longer believe that because he, he was challenged to think. He was a, he's now a thinker. He's thinking. And so he hasn't given any reasons why. He just said that he was, th he was thinking. Now, see if what follows has anything to do with thinking, because notice the turn here. It was very subtle, and this is why I paused the recording to point it out. All of a sudden, this has taken a very, very bizarre and subjective turn. Let's continue. I lost a sense of conviction. 
a sense of passion for the faith because part of this you know liberal postmodern perspective is, has to do with everything being about context and perspective and there being no truth okay so uh, yeah he he bought into postmodern liberalism and there is no such thing as truth thank you for the uh, <clears throat> insiders um confession there about what postmodernity is all about. It's much better coming from you than coming from me, although this is what I've been telling people for years, but let's continue. What the integral folks call the the myth of the framework. Everything is the framework, but there's no substance. There's no truth within it. It's all just a constructed narrative. And uh, I found that I, I actually got to a place I was actually ordained and serving my second congregation when I just felt like I was wandering in a desert. and uh, Well, yeah, I mean, how do you preach Sunday after Sunday when you don't even believe there's a such thing as truth? But he's a thinker, you know. See, he, through his thinking, he discovered not only this is, you know, did God not create the world, but there's not, using his brain, he's discovered there's no such thing as truth. Boy, that's some pretty potent thinking, don't you think? My faith had no juice, mm-hmm. and I was trying to preach... Sunday after Sunday, and just had lost the passion. And so I ended up going to a um, silent retreat in Narragansett, Rhode Island. Silent retreat. That's uh, one of the mysticism code words. Let's continue. A 10-day retreat. And had this mystical experience. You had a what? You went to a silence retreat and you had a, quote, mystical experience. Are we thinking anymore at this point? Where did, where did all the thinking go to? You used thought to deconstruct truth. You felt empty because nothing was true. And so the only thing you left have left to turn to is a, quote, mystical experience. Now listen carefully to see if what follows next even remotely sounds like anything that Jesus Christ or his apostles taught and said that we should be teaching? Of being one with the cosmos, being an expression of the cosmos, a manifestation of the cosmos after 13.7 billion years, and experience a kind of radical connectedness and a kinship with, with all that is, including what I was, you know, what I call spirit or God. So... I, I kind of staggered around the seashore for four days in this state. Kind of, my mantra was, "I am the universe, noticing the universe." <clears throat> so he rejected uh, the biblical account of God creating using his brain, of course, because he was all about thinking. And then use thought to deconstruct thought and, and and truth itself to where there was no truth. There's only framework and narrative. And uh, this left him feeling empty. And so he had an experience of feeling like he was at one with the universe and he was walking along the sh- seashore after being in this mystical stupor for four days and felt like he was the universe looking at the universe. This is not Christianity. This is more akin to New Age mysticism. This is more akin to pagan spirituality, pantheism, if you would. But this is not taught in the Bible. In fact, the Bible teaches what the Bible teaches absolutely is against this. 
you can't mix this with Christianity and still have Christianity. The Christianity ceases to exist. Where's Christ in all of this, by the way? I wonder if he believes in the Christ consciousness, too. I am the universe feeling the universe. How did that? How did that come to you? Like, what were you... well, it came to me. Okay. The, re- the reason it came to me, I don't know if I've ever shared the story with you, was that I, on the silent retreat, I, re- I picked up uh, Brian Swim's slim volume, "The Universe Is a Green Dragon." Oh, sure. You know, I read it in one sitting. Yep, yep. And I got it. It just was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this, where, like, what, what cosmos have I been inhabiting? So he he used his brain to ingest. The book, The Universe is a Green Dragon, and he believes that, but he doesn't believe the Bible. Right. Yes. And this is supposedly, this man is a Christian thought leader. What, again, is Christian about his green dragon mystical experience? Hmm? Where have I been? What, who did I think I was? If I am not this, if I am not the presence of the universe in... It, <laughs> In this human form, in the twenty-four, then who do I think I am? This little, you know, bag of—I mean, partly this bag. Of- so you don't believe that God created the universe in seven days, but or six days, but you believe you are the universe. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Which is easier to believe, <clears throat> without complete credulity, that God created? the heavens and the earth in six days, or that you are the universe? <sighs> Seriously? Skin and bones, but um, what happened was that was the, the, the dualistic worldview collapsed. Yes. In other words, there's, there's Bruce... Okay, got to point something out here. The mystical worldview is a worldview that embraces something called monism. Mon, you know, I think it's Latin for one. One-ism, okay? This is pure, unadulterated pantheism. Now, I want to point something out here. This is just a fact of the monistic worldview. There is a sacrament in the monistic worldview, okay? Monism is, is that all things are one, all things are together. This is pantheism or panentheism in some cases. But in the monistic mystical worldview, there is a sacrament, okay? And I apologize for having to tell you this, but you need to know this. The sacrament of monism is homosexual sex. Think about it. It makes perfect sense. Over here, and the universe is out there. It's something I look at up in the sky somehow. Or... You know, there's the Earth, and then there's Bruce, and I'm walking on it. But but the experience was that I was walking as the Earth, yeah, yeah, as the presence of the Earth in in human form. And yeah, so you were walking as the Earth again. I just asked the question: Which is easier to believe, God created the heavens of the Earth, or that you are the Earth, that you are the presence of the Earth? Where does the Bible teach any of this? Uh, and as I say, this I this was a, this was an experience of enlightenment for me. It was no less than enlightenment, yeah. and an important. So your experience gets to dictate what the truth is. You've discovered truth, and it's all based upon your mystical experiences. And the conclusions that you've come to are monistic in their thinking, and that you are the universe, and you are somehow being held up by <clears throat> Michael Dowd as a quote Christian thought leader. Uh, there's nothing Christian about what you're saying, sir. In certain ways, it was different than, than the classical Eastern form of enlightenment, 
which which basically is kind of an escape from the wheel of life. This was more an evolutionary form of enlightenment, a kind of Western form of enlightenment where I realized that I was the presence of the universe after 13.7 billion years, and we all were, and that um, therefore my essential vocation was to or is to uh, ask myself the question, what, what, is, what is the future that needs me in order to emerge? Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> this is what happens when you um, jettison the Bible. Something does come and fill the vacuum. And in the, in the case of um, Bruce here, uh, we might want to refer to him as Bruce Almighty now, um, is that, um, well, Bruce Sanguine, uh, Bruce Almighty, uh, he's now... Uh, he's now the universe reflecting itself, and he's had these mystical experiences that embrace evolutionary theory, because you know, I mean, it was, this is all about thought. But what he's described is not has any, has nothing to do with thought. It has nothing to do with what God's word has revealed about God, the nature of the universe, or anything. In fact, this is a competing revelation. This is a competing revelation to God's word that is incompatible with God's word and the religion that Jesus Christ taught. So who are you going to believe? Or are you going to believe Jesus, who rose from the grave on the third day after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, thus proving his claim to being God the Son in human flesh, God in human flesh? Or are you going to believe, well, Bruce Sanguine, who apparently um, used his brain to no longer believe the Bible and has now had a mystical experience and has embraced some new monism thing and and his experience is being hailed by Michael Dowd as cutting-edge Christian thought leadership. There's nothing Christian about this. This is pure, unadulterated idolatry. And it's going to send people to hell if they buy into it. Because you are not called to have a mystical experience of enlightenment and oneness with the universe. You are called to repent of your sins and be forgiven of them including this sin of blatant paganistic idolatry and mixing it into Christianity and daring to call it Christianity when it's anything but. You are called to repent of your sins and be forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, that's just a sample of what's being put out there by uh, the evolutionarychristianity.com website. And uh, we will have more installments in the future because, like I said, this is the mother load. This is just the biggest pile of spiritual scubalon that I have witnessed or seen in any one place on the Internet in a long, long time. And I think it's important that you understand and hear what's being bantied about by so-called Christian thought leaders. <clears throat> yeah, don't you just love the state of Christianity today? It's just, <clears throat> if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We will re- be right back. Sermon review time. We're going to use Pastor Charmley's categories, preaching about the gospel but not actually preaching the gospel. Stay tuned.
Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. The Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. (laughs) And just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Finally back. Merry Christmas to you all. First sermon review of the Christmas season. For real. I mean, we're in Christmas now. And we're going to be reviewing some Christmas sermons from some different places. Kind of take a sampling here. And we're going to be using Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley's category of preaching about the gospel, but not preaching the gospel to see how it pans out. 
So let's cue up the sermon reviews, <clears throat> review music and dive right into it. The good, the bad, then, well, the ugly. <clears throat> we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Church by the Glades. I think they're down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. They're in Florida somewhere, the Everglades being Floridian. Pastor David Hughes presiding during uh, the Christmas season in evangelical world. They got that backwards. That was during Advent. They preached Christmas sermons. And uh, the sermon series was entitled 3D Christmas. Apparently they used three-dimensional technology and 3D glasses to somehow make this preaching relevant. What you are to be listening for. Pastor Charmley's newly introduced category of preaching about the gospel, uh, but not preaching the gospel. Are we hearing about how wonderful steak is without even being given so much as a morsel of steak? That's kind of the question. Let's see. Dun, dun, dun. All right, let's... Uh, I'm going to kill the music here. Although I love this part. I always say that, don't I? Trumpets and fanfare. Kill it. All right, so without any further ado, here is David Hughes on 3D Christmas, the greatest gift. Here we go. Preached on Christmas Day. Welcome to another creative and encouraging teaching by Pastor David Hughes, lead pastor at Church by the Glades. For more information on Church by the Glades, including directions and service times, please visit us at www.cbglades.com. What is up, Church by the Glaze? Man, good to see you today. Glad you're here. If you're a guest, welcome. I'm David Hughes, one of the pastors, and this is so fun. <laughs> you know, hey, what's up? Yeah, this sounds like the high-fiving of the piece, you know, just, you know, hey, yo, whoa, what's happening, man? Word. This is actually historic. 3D Christmas. As far as we can tell, it's the first time in the 2,000-year history of the church that someone has told the gospel via 3D, but we are doing that, and I'm so glad you're here. <clears throat> David, um, <clears throat> I, I, I apologize for interrupting, but I do that on this program. Um, got a question for you. Um, do you think that when, you know, um, Joseph and Mary made the trip from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, and, um, and you know, there was no room for them in the inn, and, and, you know, they, uh, you know, Mary had to give birth, you know, um, you, you think that when that all occurred, that it happened in three dimensions, or was that just a two-dimensional experience? You know, just you know, you're, you're touting your great 3D technology, but uh, the reality is, is that all of us by nature already live in a 3D world. Um, so I think that the first account of Christmas actually occurred in well, 3D. Just you know, just maybe I'm just nitpicking. You're here to be a part of that. If you're a newbie, uh, man, we're honored you're with us, and I hope you'll join right in. By the way, I love dialogues. Dialogues are fun. Monologues kind of dull. 
So I will ask a number of questions during the course of the teaching time. Uh, there'll be some verses highlighted. If you'd respond out loud, this will be more fun. So will you do that, me that favor? Will you respond out loud? Yes. That's good. Just like that. Thank you so much. And I want the whole thing to be interactive. So uh, how about this? How about this? Why don't you find a, a, a worship buddy right now? Find a neighbor. Find a neighbor. Find someone nearby. And I want you to have a little conversation with them. And here's the icebreaker. Why don't you tell that um, a worship buddy <laughs> never needed one of those in church. Now I, I, I have friends who scuba dive and they have diving buddies. Um, a worship buddy. Okay. That person, what was your favorite gift you ever received? We're talking about gifts today. Your favorite gift you ever received. Ready? Go. Favorite gift. What is your favorite gift of all time? Maybe it happened when you were a child at Christmas. They, they, what's that, bud? That's for me? Isaiah, thank you so much. Man, give Isaiah is being generous, giving, giving his pastor a gift. Thank you, buddy. Hey, Isaiah, can, can I open it? Can I open it now? Oh, awesome. Oh, well, we're talking about gifts today. In fact, I told you, I think maybe the definition, because we're doing three ideas with three Ds, I think maybe the best definition of Christmas is all about the Savior. It's about God giving the greatest gift. So uh, let's see this gift is I got here. I got... Okay, so notice he mentioned that he talked about the gospel. It's about God giving the greatest gift. Okay, that's telling us something about the gospel, but that's not preaching the gospel. You notice that? Appropriate, bro. Appropriate. Isaiah gave me some uh, styling 3D glasses. Yes. In fact, evidently, evidently, if I have my 3D glasses on, you should probably put your 3D glasses on. Because I'm guessing we must have another 3D moment. Here in the service, we want to share with you some of our favorite things about Christmas. Just, just a few of our favorite things for Christmas. And uh, I got to confess, one of my favorite things, gifts. Gifts are awesome. Gifts are so much fun. I love shopping for gifts. I love you know, giving someone a thoughtful gift. I love receiving a thoughtful gift. And in fact, I, I propose, as we're discussing the doctrine of Christmas, the doctrine of the Incarnation, you can think of Christmas, uh, you know, three ideas as the definition, the essence, as a, 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 a gift. God giving this incredible gift, the gift of a, a Savior, the gift of Jesus. So- okay, what do we need a Savior for? What, why do we need a Savior? You know, you, t- you just threw out the word incarnation and Savior. Um, that's kind of sort of preaching about the gospel. I mean, the incarnation and Savior are vital parts of the gospel. I completely agree with you that they are important. Um, but that mentioning Savior and incarnation is different than actually, well, you know, preaching the gospel and, you know, proclaiming the incarnation and the good news and why we need a Savior. You see what I'm saying? Someone said that uh, a really good gift reflects the personality of the giver, but also meets an authentic need of the recipient. And man, can you do better than God? Well, God nailed it at Bethlehem because you know, Jesus, when he gave that beautiful baby, reflected his personality, God's character. God nailed it? <laughs> character, God's love, his mercy, his compassion. And then he sent me, his son and savior, because the Bible teaches I needed a savior. The Bible teaches I have no... You're right. The Bible does teach you need a savior. Can you explain to me Why? Just saying I need a Savior is different than explaining why or preaching the Savior. You, you see what I'm saying? No ability to save myself. Man, God is the ultimate gift giver. 
And so I enjoy gifts. I enjoy gifts. Raise your hand if you enjoy gifts. Raise your hand if you enjoy gifts. Yeah, both campuses, Sample Road. Give it up for Sample Road, by the way. Sample Road! And our friends watching on television, if you enjoy a gift, man, just press in, because I, I think you can think of Christmas. It's like preaching with ADD. Um, you, were, you, you mentioned the incarnation, the need of a Savior, that God gave the greatest gift, and, and that, you know, you, that you can't save yourself, and then you kind of in ADD fashion, hey, let's give it up for, you know, who cares about the other folks? Um. You're, you have a job here, sir. You're supposed to be proclaiming the gospel, you know, preaching it. Like a gift. In fact, the stage is covered with all these beautiful gifts. And I thought it'd be kind of fun this Christmas to leverage gifts as a teaching tool, as a uh, visual aid, help you understand maybe the essence or the vibe of Christmas. Like, like here's one. If you're thinking about just the Christmas story itself, just the, the baby in the manger story, I think, uh, I think this gift, this gift is highly reflective of the feel of Christmas. This is what Christmas kind of feels like to a great many of us. Christmas, the Christmas story at least, if you had to represent it with a gift, kind of feels like this one. This one. A Snuggie. All right, own it, own it. Raise your hand if you have a Snuggie. Raise your hand. Oh, look at that. Give some love for the Snuggie people in the house. The people that value personal comfort and coziness, man. Hard to beat a Snuggie. Snuggies all warm and what, what does a Snuggie have to do with our uh, God-made flesh? You know, God with us, Emmanuel, you know. Hello. Fuzzy, nay, I, I laughed too. I mean, I fell out the first time I saw that Snuggie commercial on TV. It, it wasn't, you know, the funny part wasn't Grandma sipping tea on the couch with her Snuggie on. It wasn't the cute kids wearing their little bitty Snuggies. It was like the scene with the two dudes on the bleachers at a ball game. Really? Look, bro, you wear your Snuggie to the Dolphins jet game, you're getting beat up. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but I'm out here bashing the Snuggie. The Snuggie is very comfortable. It's warm. It's fuzzy. And you might think the Christmas story or the Jesus story is a Snuggie story. Let me show you Luke chapter 2. Luke's account is a very famous account of the Christmas story. Here's why I b- propose the Christmas. You know, I've read the Lucan account of the uh, birth of Christ many a time in it's never reminded me of a Snuggie. It's just one of those things. Story left by itself is kind of a Snuggie story. While they were in Bethlehem, look at the screen, the time came for the the baby, the baby to be born. Right, baby? It's, it's a baby story. And who doesn't love a baby, with the exception of Herod the hater? I mean, who doesn't love a baby? Babies are cute and cuddly, and it's kind of a Snuggie story. Yeah, in fact, it continues, gave birth to a baby, gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, maybe a Snuggie, and placed him in a manger. I mean, it's a cute story. It's a sweet story. But, but listen, there's one problem, in my opinion, if you kind of start and stop your view of Christ with Christmas, with the whole manger story. In fact, it's the same problem you see with the Snuggie. The Snuggie, I'm not bashing the Snuggie. I mean, it's, it's comfortable, and it's, it's cozy, and it's fuzzy, but there's one problem. I mean, the Snuggie leaves a whole big part of my anatomy very unsnug. I mean, here's the idea. It's, it's, it's all cute, warm, and fuzzy, but it's incomplete. By nature, the Snuggie is cute and, and fuzzy, but incomplete. Say the word incomplete. incomplete. And here's the idea I want to communicate today. If your view of Jesus 
or your view of the gospel kind of starts and stops with the cute little story, the snuggy story of the little baby in the manger, if your view of Christ kind of begins and ends with the Christmas card Christ, your view of Jesus and your view of the gospel is incomplete. I, well, I would have to agree, but this kind of begs the question. Um, aside from uh, Ricky Bobby in uh, Talladega Nights, how many people do you know whose view of Jesus is just the baby Jesus? I mean, I prior to well, prior to Talladega Nights coming out, I had never once in my entire life in many in all of the churches that I've been to ever run into a person who tried to make the case that they only believed in and really focused in on just the baby Jesus. Now, I maybe your experience is different than mine, but I just don't see this as a major theme or major problem in the church today. It's, you know, there might be a few loose nuts out there who, like Ricky Bobby, only think of the baby Jesus, but um, I don't know if um, I've never met one for real. You got to go past that. You got to go past. Some people do. They get stuck. They get stuck with baby Jesus. They fixate on baby Jesus. I say people like this, they have a Ricky Bobby theology. Uh, Can you name some of these people for me, please? I mean, I mean, Ricky Bobby, by the way, is a fictitious character um, played by Will Ferrell. Um, He he ain't the real. um, He ain't real. Um, So you you say you call these people. Let me back this up. I mean, so apparently David Hughes has run into a bunch of the baby Jesus uh, people. But I mean, so much so that he's he's coined a phrase regarding them. Incomplete. You got to go past that. You got to go past. Some people do. They get stuck. They get stuck with baby Jesus. They fixate on baby Jesus. I say people like this, they have a Ricky Bobby theology. Yeah. Again, uh, David just got a question. How many, I mean, if there's really a bunch of folks at your church who think this way, maybe it's a result of your shallow preaching. It might be your fault because the churches I go to, nobody has this problem. Yeah, and a few people laugh, and you're like me. You saw Talladega Nights. Especially y'all were too holy and spiritual to see Talladega Nights, Will Ferrell movie. But in that movie, his character, Ricky Bobby, he, he loves baby Jesus. He prays to baby Jesus. He's focused on baby. He never gets past baby Jesus. You must get past baby Jesus. This is one part of the gospel. But my goal today is to give you a holistic view of the gospel. That's great. Um, can you actually preach it instead, please? Let your gospel view of Christ be a more complete view of Christ. I mean, think about the gospel and the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark. Okay, now I want to point something out here. He says that his goal is to give you a more holistic view of Christ. So that's his goal for his sermon today. We'll circle back and see if I can remember to ask this question. Did he pull it off? Do, at the end of the sermon, do you have a better understanding of Christ as a result of his preaching? Luke and John, biographies of the life of Christ. They are so rich. They are so fat with truth. Think about the Gospels as a plethora of presents. What? The stage here is, I mean, there's all these presents on the stage. Think about the Gospel as a gathering of glorious God gifts for you. All these great. Notice he's preaching about the Gospels rather than actually preaching from one of them. Hmm. 
Remarkable stories about the words of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, the miracles and signs of Jesus, the demonstrations of his power and his love, all these great stories so rich. Don't get stuck with Christmas. The four Gospels have 3,778 verses. Less than 80 are devoted to the Bethlehem story. So I want to flesh out your view of Christ. I want to give you today a more complete view of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So yeah, please do. I mean, I really hope you're capable of pulling this off, David. What gift will help me represent that? Right here, right here. Here's a great gift, actually. If you just want to you know, show someone you're thinking about them but not spend a whole lot of money, uh, and maybe this person, they dig the flicks. Here's a nice little thoughtful thing. What do you buy someone in that circumstance? You buy them what? Thank you. You buy them a DVD. Buy them a DVD or a Blu-ray. And so here's a DVD right here. And uh, oh, this is a cool one. This is a cool gift right here because this DVD, it is the Jesus story, the story of the gospel, but this is a director's cut. A director's cut. In fact, that's my second D, director's cut. The reason I prefer a director's cut, it has those deleted scenes. Another D, by the way, deleted scenes. Uh, you know, the director is kind of the storyteller. He's the visionary, but typically the theatrical release a bunch of editors and studio heads and corporate attorneys have got a hold of the movie and they delete any scenes in the movie they think might be too provocative or too edgy or might make the audience feel uncomfortable. I want to give you the director's cut of the Jesus story today. I, I want to share some of those deleted scenes you almost never hear in a Christmas sermon. I want to give you the director's cut like... Uh, like that, right here, right here. Here is, I guarantee you, you've been to like 25 Christmas messages. You've never heard the preacher teach on this scene in the gospel, but it's part of the gospel. It's three decades after Bethlehem, but as Jesus initiates his public ministry, in John chapter two, he journeys to Jerusalem. He goes to his father's house. And what does Jesus do? Oh my, this is gonna change your view of Jesus. In fact, to be honest, that's my goal today. Yeah, you know what's really weird here? Um, um, if you attend a church like I do that um, follows electionary, in other words, they take away creative license from the pastor for good reason to ensure that the full counsel of the Word of God is preached on in in you know in a repetitions in a repetitious cycle, um, you know, and that's annually as well as every three years. Um, then uh, I hate to break it to uh, to David, but I mean the church I go to. I mean, you know, seriously, I mean, my pastor preaches on a gospel text just about every Sunday of the year. And, uh, you know, we work our way through entire gospels using that particular method of preaching, um, you know, like, you know, covering it. And so, you know, we, we've been through Luke, we've been through John, we've been through Mark, um, uh, so, yeah, when you attend a church where the pastor is required to follow a lectionary and required to actually preach on full sections of Scripture in the Gospels and preach on them, uh, you don't have a problem with uh, having to help people have the full picture of Jesus. I mean, you just show up for, you know, a year, and uh, you pretty much got the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, because, well, every Sunday is really about Jesus. And what Jesus has done, and you know, the gospel, and the gospel's preached and proclaimed every single Sunday. So here we've got David Hughes being cutting edge and apparently, you know, really doing the racy thing here and giving us the director's cut stuff that they may have never heard about Jesus. 
You know, David, if you were really, 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 truly concerned that they weren't really getting the full story, the full picture of what Jesus is like, don't you think it would make sense rather than getting us giving us, quote, deleted scenes? Why don't you play the full movie, you know, um, and do it like every Sunday, you know, um, you know, preach through the entire, you know, sections, follow a lectionary. I mean, because what I'm hearing here, it's like, Yawn. Director's cut? Seriously, this isn't a deleted scene. It's right there in the text. And, you know, my, my church preaches on that pretty much every year, you know. In fact, that the tag with Christmas 3D has been see Christmas in a way you never have before. I want you to see Christ in a way you never have before. If your view of Jesus is incomplete or limited, I've been praying that. Yeah, if your view of Jesus is limited and incomplete, it's probably because your pastor isn't doing his job. That, that anything that's obstructing you viewing a complete view of Christ, a holistic view of the gospel, will be removed today. I love there's some brilliant Greeks in John chapter 12, verse 21, and they come to the disciples. They say, hey, we'd like, if Jesus is open for us, we're non-Jews, and we get he's kind of a Jewish hero, and it's a Jewish story, and he's a Jewish Messiah, but is he more than that? Yeah, by the way, my pastor, we preached on this not too long ago. Um, yeah, I would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. That's what the uh, these Greeks that were in Jerusalem asked the disciples if they could see Jesus. This is no big deal. I mean, how is this a director's cut? If your pastor was actually preaching on the gospel text like he's supposed to, these wouldn't be director's cuts, and you wouldn't have any need for you know this race through to hear the deleted scenes so that you can get a more holistic view of Jesus. If you really want a truly holistic view of Jesus— Tell your pastor to preach from the Gospels every Sunday. And, and they said, I love this prayer. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's a great prayer. Maybe you just breathe that prayer. I, I want to see Jesus for who he was. I want to see the whole Gospel, not just the Christmas card Christ. I, I want to see Jesus because he was more than just Jewish Messiah, though he definitely is that. He is Savior of the whole world. So let me change your view, the way you see Jesus, perhaps, in John chapter 2, especially if you see Jesus one-dimensionally. You, whenever you think of Jesus, even growing up Jesus, you still kind of see just kind of a grown-up baby. You see cute little Jesus. You see sweet Jesus. You see uh, gentle Jesus. Your view of Jesus is precious moments Jesus. He has feathered blonde hair, sports a bathrobe, wears flip-flops, and gives out candy to the babies all the time. In John chapter 2, gentle Jesus whips out... A whip. Remember that story? He comes to his father's house, and and gentle Jesus is. In- I mean, is this re- I mean, seriously? This is. Oh, I had no idea that Jesus used a whip. Oh my goodness! My entire view of Jesus has just completely been radically changed. Um, <clears throat> David, if you had been doing your job and actually preaching from gospel texts every Sunday, um, the. This wouldn't be news. I mean, I'm, it's kind of sad that this is supposedly news to the folks there at Church by the Glades, but that's because apparently their pastor hasn't been doing his job. Enraged? There's a righteous and holy anger why he sees money changers extorting God's people. They're price gouging in God's names. It infuriates him. And the Bible says, gentle Jesus makes a whip out of cords and dispenses those crooks with violence. Oh, my goodness, gentle, G- precious moments, Jesus. Mr. Rogers, Jesus. No, not in John chapter 8. He's not Mr. Rogers, Jesus. He's Mr. T, Jesus. He's Jack Bauer, Jesus. He's cleaning house. You see his passion for his father's house. Yeah, I think that's taking that just a smidge too far. Jack Bauer, Jesus. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I used to be a fan of 24 when that was on the air. Um, I've seen every, uh, every episode. 
of every season. And uh, Jack Bauer had a how do I put this? Uh, he had a proclivity to torture people. Yeah, he was pretty violent. Yeah, seeing Jesus as Jack Bauer is not really an accurate picture. Manly, yes, but Jack Bauer? No, Jack Bauer clearly needs a savior. You see his disdain of injustice. Did that change someone's view of Jesus? Because that's part of a complete gospel. Well, if it changed your view of Jesus, then you are a complete gospel neophyte. You have no clue what the Bible actually teaches. And it's one of two things. Either you're brand new to the faith and you're just not familiar with the biblical stories and you're starting to learn them, or you are completely biblically illiterate as a result of, well, let's just say not studying your Bible and having a pastor who doesn't preach it. 3D, yeah. Wow. None of this has really changed my view of Jesus at all. In fact, I feel my brain shrinking kinds of great presents and tokens here. I wish we had time. All these amazing stories and teachings. If I yeah, I wish we had time to, you know, actually open up the Bible and preach it, but then that would interrupt me talking about the Gospels. And, you know, I wouldn't want actually preaching the Gospels to get in the way of me talking about it. I've got these, I've got this outline I've created, and I, I gotta, yeah, I, that's more important than, you know, actually reading the stories. I unwrapped all these in the Gospel. We'd be here till a week from Tuesday. Okay, like one person's excited about that. So I won't do that to you. Yeah, well, rather than doing it all, you know, in, you know, one setting, why don't you just chop it up and, you know, like take the gospel of Luke and preach through it for the next six months? You know, every Sunday. You know, other preachers have proven that this can be done and that when you do that, people actually get a full and complete biblical picture of Jesus. Yeah, and no worry about leaving out deleted scenes and things like that. I mean, the... But how, how, about, how about this? How about this? Here's a great token of the gospel right here. Here's a great uh, indicator. Uh, who enjoys a Christmas card? In fact, who's received one? Who's received at least one Christmas card the last few weeks? And some of y'all didn't eat Christmas cards. I feel bad for you. Somebody just send you a Christmas Christmas card. are great. Now, what's your favorite kind of Christmas card? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Someone in here said, yeah, I like that Christmas card with a little something in the Christmas card. Listen, be honest, I, I do too, I do too, I do. I love all Christmas cards. They're very thoughtful. Someone would take the time, send me a picture of their family. That's awesome. But if they do put a little something in the Christmas card, it's just a little bit better. Who would say, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit better? Like, like, like 20 honest people, but anyways. And, and so if someone takes the time and they, they, they figure out what your favorite restaurant is, they get you a gift card that's very nice. Oh, my kids, my kids. First thing my kids do, they check for the check. But some of the grandparents, they check for the check. But what if someone gave you a Christmas card? Now, don't spiritualize and get all churchy on me. They, they, they had something in the Christmas card for you, but it wasn't money. It wasn't a check. It wasn't a gift card. Well, it was money, but it's not a lot of money. They just taped two pennies. What would your response be, your honest response? What would your response be? Yeah, it'd be like, dude, really? Two pennies. Knock yourself out. Thank you very much, right? I mean, no one, no one in the room would be impressed with that. No one would go, whoa, that is so remarkably generous. No one would do that at all, except for maybe Jesus. And some of you recall a story in John chapter 21 where giving back in the day. The- now, apparently this is a director's cut to help give you a more holistic picture of Jesus. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard this story many, 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 many times. Yeah, because I have a pastor who, you know, I've had pastors over the past 20 years. You know, they preach through the gospel. So I've heard dozens of sermons about that text. 
Yeah, it hasn't changed my view of Jesus at all. In fact, I'm kind of wondering if you're telling the story right because of, I'm so familiar with it. In the Bible, is very, very public. And by the way, if money talk makes you uncomfortable, <laughs> the gospel has a lot of money talk. Jesus taught about money all the time, talked about money in the financial because we, we traffic every day in the financial. And so here's the only time Jesus comments or commends the amount of money someone gave. So it's at the temple again. He's there with his disciples. They're in the kind of place where the giving station is. And evidently some very wealthy people are making some lavish gifts. There's some kind of offering receptacle, some kind of urn or something. And and wealthy guys are coming up with their gold. And they drop in the gold coins. And they fall on that offering plate or receptacle. You know, clank, 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 clank. And the disciples, no doubt, are going, whoa. Jesus, see how much the guy, how much gold the guy put it out. Yeah, by the way, if you actually go in, you read that gospel text. There's no um, that that nowhere does it say the disciples were going whoa. No, yeah, that whoa isn't in the text. And you think, oh, how do you know? Because I've heard my pastor preach on it so many times. I'm very familiar with it. I thought he said he was going to change my view of Jesus. <laughs> Someone else comes up with a whole bunch of silver and drops the silver, you know, clink, 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 clink. And the disciples again go, whoa, look at that. And the Bible says a little woman came and dropped in two pennies. Dink, dink. And Jesus went, whoa. And I guarantee you the disciples were thinking, really? Really, Lord? Really? Two pennies? Really? You get, why even? Where in the text does it say the disciples were going, really? 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 Really, Lord? Huh? 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 And bother. Jesus, I, you know, I know you don't run the finances here and the disciple team, but, but Judas does that. He's good with money. Um, but, you know, uh, you can't keep the temple going, can't fund the budget, can't keep the, the sacrificial fund. Now, notice he's not actually preaching the gospel. He's supposedly kind of giving us some information about the gospel and about Jesus. He ain't preaching Christ and him crucified. He's preaching uh, some information about Jesus and is. He's taking some artistic license with the director's cuts. Uh, but, I mean, has your view of Jesus been radically changed? Fire's burning. Can't pay the staff with two pennies. But look what Jesus says. John chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 21. This is great. He says, truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. Now, I love this next part. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. Stop right there. Jesus is not jamming wealthy people or affluent people. I mean, he celebrates, the Bible celebrates many generous gifts in the Bible. Rich people honoring God, blessed to be a blessing. But look at this. Here's what he says. But, but she, out of her poverty, put in, key word, that's a small word with huge implication, put in all she had. I mean, she was all in. When it came to the God thing, it was just two pennies, but it was her last two pennies. She was all in. And that's the nature of the Christ following life. If you're here wondering why God's not working in your life, but you're partially committed, you're compartmentalized in your God devotion, that's why it's not working. Oh, my. Wow. Was that some really bad law? Um, yeah, folks, I'm, I apologize. What you just heard there was just blatant law. Uh, now, let me go back, and I want to take this uh, <clears throat> quote apart a little bit. Oh, boy, this is miserably bad. Um, Hang on. Messing up of law and gospel at this point. Listen carefully. All word with huge implication. Put That in, would be the word all. And all she had. I mean, she was all in. When it came to the God thing, it was just two pennies, but it was her last two pennies. She was all in. And that's the nature of the Christ following life. So apparently uh, the nature of the Christ following life is that you're all in like the uh, poor widow. 
If you're here wondering why God's not working in your life, but you so if God's not working in your life, well, you just well it's because you haven't you you're not obedient all the time. Do you know anybody who's obedient all the time? Do you know anybody who, if we were to really look at their life, you know, put a little spy camera, you know, on their shoulder and follow them around throughout the entire day, that we'd be able to say, wow, that person's all in. They're totally 100% obedient to God. That's why things are working for them. You know, that's not how that works. See, um, none of us goes without sinning. None of us, me included, you included. You're partially committed, you're compartmentalized in your God devotion. That's why it's not... Yeah, basically every single human being, every single Christian is at best partially committed. Poor the Apostle Paul, by the way, he he said, the things I don't want to do, I do, but the things I don't want to do, I, you know, I do. I said, things I don't want to do, I do, and things I do want to do, I don't do. That's what he said. Read Romans 7. He's writing that as a Christian. Hmm. It doesn't sound like the Apostle Paul was all in in his obedience, but listen to this. Working. She was all in financially. You got to be all in financially, all in as far as your worship, all in as far as your priorities. As I follow Jesus, I follow Jesus with all I have. Yeah, because if you don't, the whole God thing isn't going to work for you. Yeah, I mean, see, if you're only 95% committed in, in your finances to God, then, well, you, you, the God thing's just not going to work for you. That's pure, unadulterated legalism. No, that's, that's not gospel there. That's just a complete, blatant u- misuse of the law, an illegal use of the law, if you would. If you hear it going, wow, I'm 95% committed to Jesus, all that means is 5% short. She was all Yeah, do you really think, David, that you're 100% committed to Jesus? Seriously, if I were to have a conversation with your wife, would she describe a sinner to me or somebody who never sins, who's 100% sinless? Well, and that's a great story, isn't it? That's a great story. Thank you. It's a great story. I know it's a money story. But what a- no, it's not. It's not a great story the way you told it because you completely mangled that gospel text. Sadly, too. What a great story. Jesus impressed because she gave, it was just two pennies, but it was all she had. So many great gifts. In fact, oh, here's the best one. Here's the best one right here. Oh, this one, this one is, this one. This one is amazing. This one, I got it. Oh, you know, I should wait till next year for this one. I, I should do the thing where I tease you guys to come back, come back next week, and I'll tell you about this one. So I'll just leave this one right here because that's the best. That's the foundational gift right there. It gets no better. I'll, I'll go to another gift right now. So many great gifts. So many great gifts. Oh, a wine bottle. Remember when Jesus turned water into wine? That's a great story, you know, because it was an everyday miracle. It was not life or death, but it was Jesus touching everyday water and transforming it into supernatural wine. And God would like to be involved in the everyday things of your life, transforming your mundane into the magnificent miraculous. Oh, that's a great. Really, the uh, whole wedding feast of Canaan was about God. It was God showing that he wants to change our mundane into the miraculous. Yeah, again, because my pastor preaches on these texts regularly, yeah, I just don't recall that emphasis in that particular text. Great story. There's food in these boxes. I love the food miracles of the Bible. Jesus feeding 5,000 hungry people. So many great... Oh, wait, wait, here's one, here's one. Now, you might not think of this as, as, a, as a great gospel gift, but a pillow, a pillow. And I'll confess, I probably overly value a pillow. I love my pillow. I enjoy my pillow. In fact, you may not know this, I have the second best pillow on the planet. My pillow is it's just that you know, I've been in some nice hotels with nice linens, but my pillow, my pillow beats them all. Now, I've had it a couple years now, so it's just kind of nicely molded to my melon. Now, by the way, this is not my pillow. This is a prop pillow. My pillow is at home, safe and sound. 
they want to bring it to church and forget it because I love my pillow. And it has that right balance between, you know, soft enough and supportive enough. It's the second best pillow because the very best pillow belongs to Lisa. Anytime she's out of town, I steal her pillow. And it feels just like my pillow, but it, it, you know, husbands, it has like a little hint of her perfume on it. It reminds me of her just a little, I feel Lisa on that pillow, and she doesn't drool or anything, so I'll use her pillow if she's not around. But there's a great pillow story in the Bible. This pillow story is remarkable. In fact, you may look at this story. It shows up three different places in the Gospels. At first, it's a storm story. It's a story about a crisis or a storm. Uh, Christ followers are terrified. And I thought that'd be relevant for someone because there's somebody out here right now, and in this Christmas season, uh, you got this storm in your life. I don't know what kind of storm it is. It's a financial storm. You just lost your job. It's a, it's a relational storm. Your marriage is rocky. Your kid's in rebellion. I don't know. You got something going on in your life. I don't know what it is. But this storm is it's scaring you to death. And storms are not fun. And even solid people are frightened by the storm. So here in the story, Jesus tells his disciples, get in the boat. Get in the boat. I will get you to the other side. Get in the boat. So they obey him. They get in the boat. And, uh, and they sail into the middle of the lake. And all of a sudden, the storm shows up. Now, notice uh, the, the details of these texts is, well, the, the details are a bit dubious at this point. And notice he's not actually preaching from the Gospels, he's not actually preaching the Gospel. We're hearing, some, you know, kind of David Hughes's notes summaries of these stories when he's taking a lot of artistic license. Has your view of Jesus radically changed? Do you now have a more holistic view of Jesus as a result of this sermon? Yeah, I sure don't. Up and it's a bad storm because his disciples, you recall, are professional fishermen, and the pros are crying like little girls because the boat's about to be swamped. And what is Jesus doing when all this happens? Do you remember the story? He's sleeping. He's sleeping in the stern of the boat. And they wake him up and they're crying out, Lord, don't you care? We're about to die. Jesus stands up. He awakes and he rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith. Then he rebukes the storm. And the wind and the waves go still. And the disciples freak after this happens. says, who in the world are we with right now when this man speaks the wind and the waves obey him. Now, that's a great story. But Mark, in his gospel, chapter 4, gives us a little nuance, a tiny little detail that's not in the rest of the stories. And I just think this is so, so fun right here. He gives it because he got his information, scholars, from Simon Peter, who was in the boat. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. But Jesus, look, this is great. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a... I mean, I love about this. It's not just Jesus going to nod it off for a moment. He, he took the time and trouble to bring his pillow. He got a pillow. He has a pillow. He's not just sleeping. He is sleeping soundly. Um, you know, I, there is um, my understanding of the uh, archaeology of the first century and these very poor fishermen who fished on the Sea of Galilee at that time is that the, at the back of the boat, there was a cushion, a pilot's cushion, a pilot's pillow. Jesus did, didn't bring his pillow with him. That was the cushion that was in the back of the boat. Maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, just doing this from memory here. So you guys going, yeah, that's right. Where is God in my storm? I got the storm going on right now. Where is God? Where God, are you asleep on the job? God. Yeah, uh, the point of that story is not your storm. God, you don't seem to be very active right now. I'm afraid I'm about to drown. The goal of this experience is not just to impress you with 3D technology. We want you to see Christmas and see Christ in in a way you never have before. Yeah, you haven't pulled it off, like, not even close at all. It's clear to me that uh, you don't really know these texts very well because you're 
synopsis of them is like off in like really bad ways. You would do better to actually preach from the text and preach the gospel using the text rather than your so-called synopsis because the, your stated goal in this sermon yeah, you um, you are falling miserably short, David. And if you're so concerned about the folks in your church having a full picture of Jesus, then don't you think the logical thing for you to be doing is to actually be preaching from the Gospels every Sunday? Yeah, I, I, it can be done because I've been attending churches for 20 years to do that. Especially vital if you're in a storm. See, the problem with the disciples, they were not seeing things correctly. They need to reframe their predicament and their problem. See, they had their eyes on the storm. They saw themselves, mistake they made, they saw themselves in the storm. They should have seen themselves in a boat. And in a boat, not alone, but in a boat with Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? He's not very active. He's rather quiet. He's sleeping. He's sleeping on a pillow. He's sleeping soundly. Now, how in the world can he do that? He knows he's in the sweet spot of his father's will for his life. Um, could it be because Jesus is God in human flesh? Because when you read those stories, uh, the big punchline is is that even the wind and the waves obey Him. Yeah, why would wind? Why would the creation obey Christ unless He's the Lord of creation? Yeah, see, it's not that the it's not that the disciples were in a boat with Jesus. It's that the disciples' boat with Jesus in it was in the planet created by God and that Jesus was in control of that planet because he created it. I'm just not thinking big enough here. And he knows that his father is in control and his father has told him he's not going to die in a boat. He's going to die on a cross. So here's the question. Is Jesus in your boat? Because if Jesus is in your boat, you're cool. Is Jesus in my boat? Yeah, that, see, again, that's kind of like the 180 degrees cockeyed backwards way of looking at it. Is Jesus in my boat? Yeah, no. No, no, no. The question is, am I in Jesus? When you think about baptism, one of the baptismal texts come into play at this point. You read Romans chapter 6. Shall we sin that grace may abound? Well, by no means. Don't you know that we have died to sin for when we were baptized, we were baptized into Christ, into his death and into his resurrection. The question is not if whether or not Jesus is in my boat. The question is whether or not I am in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears good fruit. Yeah, this is Jesus in my boat. Yeah, that's 180 degrees backwards. That's just like the wrong way of looking at it. Yeah, no, I... Uh, Hmm, David, you're not really doing a good job of helping me see a bigger picture of Jesus. Uh, One, because um, I'm completely unimpressed with these so-called director's cuts that you're giving us. And number two, it shows that you don't understand them. And uh, three, you would be wise if you really want your people to really understand understand Jesus, to actually preach him from the gospel text every Sunday. But then again, it makes me wonder if you're not going to do that, whether or not you really care about whether or not people have a true and correct view of Jesus. I don't care what's happening around you. The wind, the waves. I mean, here it is. Get your eyes off the storm and get your eyes on your Jesus. Stop being worried and afraid about the storm. If Jesus is in your boat, you are fine. You are good. I mean, he's asleep. He's sleeping soundly on a pillow. The disciples shouldn't have asked, who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? Should ask, who is this dude sleeping during a storm? 
Why are you saying that they shouldn't have asked that question? Because the whole punchline of that story was, who is this? Even the winds and the, wa- the waves and the winds obey him. It's a, each and every time these appear in the gospel text, the story, it points to the deity of Christ. That's the whole point of the question. And you're saying they asked the wrong one? Oh, good night. He's confident his father's in control. Your father's in control. And listen, man, he will get you to the other side. That's why someone came here today. You need to hear that word. Part of the gospel. And I wish I had time for this last gift, but we're out of time. So thank you so much for being here. And we'll see you at Easter, some of you guys. And uh, oh, you want to hear it? You want to see it? It's good. It's big. But I think this is the whole foundation of the gospel story. This, this is what, what wow, it's all about. In fact, this, but this token, this token might surprise you. It might even shock you. This, this token, you thought a whip was something kind of big and bad. See, this is the gift of grace. In this box, I have exactly what grace looks like. What- okay, now, I want you to listen carefully. Let's test to see whether or not he's preaching the gospel or if he's preaching about the gospel. Okay? Whether or not he's preaching the law to convict people of their sin and show them their need for a Savior, and placarding Christ and him crucified in his shed blood on the cross that propitiates the wrath of God for the forgiveness of our sins. Okay, Is he preaching about the gospel, or is he going to preach the gospel? That's the question in this last segment of this 3D Christmas sermon. Grace, look, because the gospel is all about grace. The ministry, life, words are all about grace. No, I agree. The gospel is all about grace. So can you preach it then for us, David? What does grace look like? What makes your Christmas story more complete? It's a nail. It's a large nail, not like a little dinky nail you nail on a two-by-four. It's a big nail, similar to a Roman spike that the Romans used to execute their prisoners. See, I know Jesus, the baby Jesus, it's snuggy, it's cute, it's all warm, fuzzy. But remember 33 years later that that baby was murdered? That baby was assassinated. First, first he was betrayed and condemned. Uh, He was tortured. He was beaten. He was nailed to a cross. Yeah, he was all of those things. Why? What does that have to do with me? It's a horrific way to die. Yeah, it's terrible. I agree. Why? God's greatest gift of grace. God did that for us. God did that for me. Why did he do it for me? Why did he have to do it? What's I don't understand. Because I'm jacked up. Okay, oh, good. Yeah, me too. Week 1.1, D, dilemma. David, the dilemma. Try as I might, I blow it all the time. I, yeah, me too. I don't know why that is. I'm sinful and fallen. But God yeah, gave yeah, yeah. great... What, what, what does sin mean? What do you mean by I'm jacked up and I'm sinful and fallen? What does that mean? What are the consequences of being jacked up and sinful and fallen? It is gift, Jesus, at Calvary, as a gift of grace. Because my only shot is grace. And guess what? You're yeah, pro- I agree. Great. Yeah, my only shot's grace too. But what does that mean? Can you fill in some of the details, actually preach it and proclaim it? You're talking about it probably smarter than me and more moral than me and kinder than me, but your only shot is grace. For the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, with clarity, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Right, yeah, that's what it says. It's, it's grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. Correct. It is the, one more time, is the, 
And there's someone here, God's brought you here today, you need to receive the gift, the gift of salvation. God has this thing for you right now. If you'll just say yes to God. The gift is yours. God has this for you. See, I think it's about grace. I think Calvary, no doubt, is about grace. Yeah, could you give us some of the details? I think, I think the Gospels are about grace. I, th- I, I agree. They are completely about, yeah, you're telling me about it, but you're not actually preaching it. I think the Christmas story, there's a shadow of the cross upon his cradle. Completely agree. What does that mean? It is about grace. The whole New Testament, grace. The Old Testament foreshadows grace. It's grace, grace, grace. Christmas is about grace. In fact, right, and what does that mean? Why do I need grace? What does it mean? I would argue maybe the most fitting Christmas carol is not Silent Night. It's not Away in a Manger. I, I think the best Christmas song might be another old song, but it might be Amazing Grace. Uh, great song. Love that song. Can you preach the gospel here, please? Repentance and the forgiveness of my sins. How s- uh, Cue sappy music. Sweet the sound. The saved a wretch. That means a mess up. A screw up like me. Yeah, I agree. I'm screwed up just like you are. Stay with me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Yes. Ready? Ready? Was blind, but now I... Now. Well, what does any of that mean? Now I see my Jesus in a new way. Now I see the gospel in a holistic way. Now I see the cross and the cradle. I see all that. I see Jesus. It's grace, grace, grace. It's all about grace. Yeah, again, um, what? Um, If I have walked into this church and I was a non-Christian, I wouldn't understand a word of what you're talking about. What do you mean grace, 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 grace? It's all about grace. Grace for what? Why do you, what, what, what does this cross have to do with grace? Why do I need it? Yeah, you, you said you're screwed up and that we're all screwed up. Yeah, I know I'm screwed up, but what does that have to do with God and Jesus and all that kind of stuff? Hmm? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Sit down, sit down, come on, don't leave. Sit down, we're not done, we're not done because there's somebody here that, uh, man, God has arranged this moment because he wants to give you the greatest gift. He wants to give you the gift of grace. He wants to give you the gift of his son. Yeah, now notice something here. Uh, This is one of the things I have referred to over and again in my critiques against American evangelicalism and the seeker-driven church. Notice who the grace is being applied to. The schlub who happened to wander into church by the glades that particular Sunday, who may not be a Christian. God's grace is being offered to that person but it's not being offered to the people who are there, who are members or who've apparently walked the aisle, raised the hand, or made whatever commitment is necessary to become a Jesus follower. But the grace is being offered to the guy who isn't the Christian. But what about the sinful believer, the one who has fallen short, who has sinned against God in thought, word, and deed by the things he's done and the things he hasn't done? Hmm? Is there any grace for that person? Who would be the majority of the people in that audience? Notice, the grace is being offered to the guy who walked in who isn't a believer yet, who hasn't received the gift. And man, why would you shine on a God who loves you so much, who gave you his most beloved to die on that cross? And of course, the story doesn't end there. The gospel is not complete if you can end at Calvary. It goes on to the empty tomb. 
the my Jesus. Yeah, those are true details about the gospel, but yeah, I don't think you're really preaching the gospel here. Jesus beat death, validating his claim to be Messiah, c- completing all those prophecies. And he's here to do business with you. Today you can read. Yeah, Jesus fulfilled all the. Which prophecies? You didn't talk about any prophecies in your 3D director's cut edition of this Christmas sermon? Receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So if you're not here, if you're here and you're not certain and sure you're saved, let's make a move. Let's do this thing together. Today, give your heart to my Jesus. Where in the Bible does it say to give your heart to Jesus? <sighs> in fact, uh, I love that verse. It says, right, grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. If he- I love it, too. I mean, that's clearly, clearly a gospel text. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But there's another great verse, I think a concise verse on salvation. It's Romans 10, 9. If you miss every other scripture I present, every song we sing, everything we say, don't miss. If you're not certain and sure you have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, check out this promise of scripture, promise of God's word. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be I just want that to hang in the... Saved from what? Saved from bad finances? From what? The air for a moment. That's the promise of God to you. If you're not certain and sure, it's not about being part of a church or denomination. It's about being part of God's family. Being forgiven, freed up, qualified for heaven. If you want to nail it down, I will love the... Freed up and qualified for heaven. Lots of gospel stuff being thrown around here, but I'm having a tough time connecting any of the dots because he's not really preaching the gospel. I'm hearing a lot about the gospel, but, I mean, if I were a non-Christian, I don't even know what he's talking about. Honor of leading you in a prayer of salvation. So right now I want to ask everyone in the house, everyone both campuses, everyone please to bow your heads, everyone to close your eyes. If you're here, don't have it nailed down. It is your time. This is your moment. You better nail it down. I don't know what you're nailing down, but you better nail it down quick. Moment of divine destiny. Just take my prayer, make my words your sincere prayer to God. No need to pray out loud because, of course. And what if he didn't pray it sincerely enough? Will it, will it work? God's a genius. He can read your mind. But pray something like this right now. If you desire to be saved today, you want to receive the gift. Saved from what? If I desire to be saved, saved from what? Gift of grace. Dear Jesus, yes, yes, absolutely yes, I say yes to you. I say yes to salvation. I say yes to forgiveness. I say yes. Forgiveness of what? Yes to freedom. Freedom from what? I say yes to you as my Lord. I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to live for you. But I recognize these things cannot save me. Only you can save me. But you died. So this is true. Died on the cross to pay for my sin. Yeah, that, that's true. What's a sin? You arose again and you're alive right now. Come into my life. Change me forever. Take me to heaven when I die. And I believe you will. For I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Someone prayed that prayer. Someone prayed, I don't know who you are. Only you and God know who you are, but you prayed that prayer. That's the most brilliant thing you've ever done.
Man, God's going to change from the inside out. He just... So if you've done it, then apparently that's the most brilliant thing you've ever done. You've sealed the deal. You've done the work. You've, uh... And then, you know, the Bible kind of gets in the way. John chapter 1. A perfectly fine Christmas text, by the way. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Jesus says, that we don't make a decision for God. God is the one who decides for us, that we're born of God. Here, the Gospel of John makes it clear that people who are born again are not born of the will of the flesh, or you can you can rightly paraphrase that or translate that passage as born not by the decision or a human decision, but of the nor of the will of a human being, but by God. So, notice here that this entire sermon supposedly is designed to set up to get people to raise their hand to make a decision. The grace of God is only being offered to the schlub who walked in who wasn't a Christian on that day, yet it's the Christians there who need that grace of God every bit as much, and if not more, than the non-Christian. And yet it wasn't offered to them. We heard a lot about the gospel, but really, you know, didn't really get much true gospel preaching. No explanation of what sin is. No explanation of the consequences of sin, God's wrath and judgment. All of that's kind of assumed, but doesn't that make does that does it doesn't make any sense? If you're a non-Christian, if if you were a non-Christian, and I were t- talking to you, I wouldn't assume that you understand about the wrath of God and eternal punishment and things like that, I wouldn't assume that at all, especially if you haven't been raised in the church. I would assume you don't know anything, and I would proclaim to you the whole counsel of the Word of God in order to preach the gospel to you so that you would know that because of your sin and rebellion and disobedience against God, and if you want to know what that looks like, you go to the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20 and read out the Ten Commandments and ask yourself this question. How do I stack up against this standard? Not how do I stack up against my next-door neighbor or that person over there. Yeah, it's, it's easy to think that you're more righteous than somebody else. I mean, you, you, may, you may be, but see, your neighbor's not the standard. The law of God is. And so ask yourself the question, how do you stand up? How have you stood up today against what God has revealed in his word? About not having any other gods, honoring your father and mother, not lying, cheating, stealing, committing adultery, coveting, 
you know, bearing false witness. How have you done? If you're honest, you'd say you've actually done a pretty miserable job and that you are guilty of breaking God's law, even today. And the bad news is, is that those who transgress God's law have earned the wrath of God, and they rightly deserve His just and eternal punishment. But the good news is, is that Christ Jesus, the babe who was born in the manger to the Virgin Mary, who we refer to as Emmanuel, God with us, was God in human flesh, and He never once transgressed one of God's laws. He lived the law perfectly. He was without sin, tempted in every way and yet was without sin. And he died in your place on the cross as your substitute, taking on the punishment that you earned through your sinful rebellion against God and is offering you a full and complete pardon by his shed blood on the cross for you and is offering you as a gift his forgiveness and his perfect righteousness given to you as if you had lived it yourself, so that you may stand before a holy and just God, not fearing his wrath and knowing that you deserve and earn it, but that you may stand before God and not see the wrath of God, but instead see the kindly, kingly eyes of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, saying to you, well done. Not because of anything you've done, because he has redeemed you. He has forgiven you. He has made you worthy through his shed blood. So much so that even your your poor and wretched and weak good works are seen as pleasing in God's sight because of Christ and what he's done. But that's not what we've heard in today's sermon. That's not what we've heard. In light of the gospel that I just preached, though, I've got good news for both sinner and saint, for both Christian and non-Christian. Christ has died for all of your sins and even now calls you to repent and be forgiven. And the good news for you, Christian, is that Jesus does forgive your sins. The gospel is for you, too. You need to hear it. You need to hear it because it's so easy when we look at God's law to say, I'm not stacking up, I'm not measuring up, I still sin, I still wrestle with my sin, how can I possibly be saved? You're not saved by your keeping of the law, you're saved by Christ's keeping of the law for you, and you can't add to his perfection. Salvation truly is a gift, and if you could earn it, then it wasn't a gift to begin with, it would be a wage. It's all gift, and you are pleasing in God's sight because of Christ, that babe born in the manger to the Virgin Mary, who went on to suffer and die under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, died, and was buried, and was resurrected again on the third day for your justification. Repent of your sins. Turn and say, I'm wrong, God, and you're right. And be forgiven, and know this, that you are forgiven in Christ. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. We could surely use your financial support at this time. 
especially in light of the attacks that we have sustained here at Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith. If you haven't already partnered with us, this is a great great time for you to do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and click on one of the friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate, the other says join our crew. Pick one. You know the shtick. I talk about it all the time. If you haven't already joined us and partnered with us financially, this is the time to do it. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you and the grace and the mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross, even for your sins, Christian, even for you. Amen. Amen.